Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Robert. I'm one of the privileged pastors here and we are doing a series in the book of John and we're in week 17 of our series going through John and the series is called Superman HD. Um, the redefinition of who Superman really is. And we're arguing along with John in this book that Jesus is the real Superman because he's a hundred percent God Super, and he's also a hundred percent man. And we say HD doesn't stand for high definition or higher definition or even highest definition, which would be fair. It actually, stands for human and divine. And we're in John chapter 6 this week. John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verse 1 to 21. If you'd like to turn there with me, electronically or otherwise. And the, 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 the topic for our message today is the promised prophet. The promised prophet. Now before I read the text, and as you turn there, I'm going to take opportunity to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful gift to us in the Bible and the fact that it's through your word you particularly, specifically and unequivocally communicate who you are. And Father, as we look at just one element, one aspect, one small part of the complete picture, Father, would you help us as we look at that picture to get a greater appreciation, um, not only for who you are, Father, but who the Lord Jesus is, the one that John is wanting to reveal to us in HD, in 4K. Lord, would you please assist us as we speak and as we listen in Jesus' name. And for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1 to 21. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm reading from the ESV which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and then he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Amen. We thank God for his word. So, if you look with me at verse 1 of John chapter 6, it says, after this, Christian is after what? (laughs) Well, according to the other Gospels, it's been about three to six months of much goings on. But John, as an author of his particular specific book, who's trying to make a particular point, doesn't include all of that other stuff. He cuts out like three to six months of what Jesus had done because he wants to keep this train of thought that has, that has started in chapter five. He doesn't want anything to take away from his focus, which is witness and that which testifies to who Jesus is. So our theological thought continues from chapter five, where we saw the cure, We saw the controversy and we saw the claims of Christ. Those three kind of headlines in chapter 5. We saw Jesus curing the paralyzed man, which led to controversy and resulted in Jesus making some amazing claims. Jesus claims to see and do the same things as the Father in verse 19 of chapter 5. Jesus says he has a special and particularly distinct relationship with the Father, in verse 20. Like the Father, Jesus raises the dead, and Jesus, verse 21, and Jesus ought to be honoured, he says, as the Father is honoured. Wow, that's some big claims, verse 23. We saw that these claims that Jesus makes, makes him, if they're true, equal with who? With God. Leaving Jesus now, with reference to these, 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 these onlookers, leaves Jesus in double trouble. But then he turns the table on his accusers. As they attempt to judge him, <laughs> Jesus then ends his claims with a crescendo, saying that he will, will ultimately judge them and everyone else on the last day. They actually find themselves in double trouble. And then last week we heard from Ben. Where is he? Last week we heard from Ben, somewhere around. We heard from Ben that the Lord Jesus continued his claims. And we saw that there were witnesses to attest to those claims, identifying Jesus as the one who would receive ultimate glory. And not these jumped up, illegitimate glory hunters. We're going to see the people... Perceive today who Jesus is, but misunderstand his mission. Our section this week is after all of that. Verse 1, after this, that, that is what it was after. Well, today we'll see not only one, but two, even possibly three miracles. 
The first of which is the only miracle recorded, no, by all four of the Gospels. This is the only miracle noted by all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all record, unlike any other miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle, John is arguing, the Gospel writers are arguing, I'm arguing, this miracle... Is very, very significant. And the thing is, it's one of those things that we kind of hear and we know. Oh, yeah, the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, 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 I heard that story before. Huh? When the gospel writers all make reference to it, that says something. And we need to maybe look at it a little bit, a little bit um, more closely. And hopefully that is what we're going to get a chance to do today. <clears throat> this miracle is significant. I remember, John doesn't refer to them as miracles as much as he refers to them as what? Signs, thank you. Signs, and like all good signs, they're supposed to point to something. The fact that John chapter 20, verse 31, kind of like a focal verse, the, the whole book is virtually about this verse. The whole book is unpacking the meaning and the understanding of John chapter 20, verse 31. That This is what he wants us to understand. The fact that Jesus, this is what the signs point to. The fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I had someone come around this week and we were talking about Psalm 2. And I can't help but at least refer to it. Especially in light of that verse. So you might say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's the Christ. Yeah, he's the Son of God. The impact, the impact of the things and the, the impact of the claims that Jesus makes about himself absolutely rock his audience. You know what I'm saying? And because we don't necessarily understand what they understood, it may not necessarily have the same impact on us. So Psalm 2, I would like to think, gives us a little bit of insight as to what what. Some of what this may mean, Lord, help me. Psalm 2, listen to Psalm 2, especially in the light of that verse 31. I'll put them both up on the screen so you can reference both of them. (coughs) Psalm 2, David wrote the Psalm 2, right? He says, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? The Lord. Two people, notice, the Lord and against who? His anointed. There's two people there, or two persons. More true. Notice that. Verse 6. Well, actually, before we go to verse 6, anointed. Anybody know what the word anointed actually means? So you've got three, you've got three words that are very that are synonymous in the Bible, and if you're not careful, you miss it. Three, Messiah or Mashiach, right? You've got, now that's Hebrew. What's the Greek synonym for Mashiach or Messiah? Somebody help me. Thank you, D. Christ. So when you see Messiah and you see Christ, know that they both mean the same thing. Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, why did the translators just translate it into English? Because Messiah ain't English. And, well, Mashiach isn't English. And neither is Christ. It's Christos. It's Greek. But you know what they both mean? They mean the second person that we just referenced in verse 2 of Psalm 2. The anointed one. They're all synonymous terms. Messiah, Christ is the same as saying in English, the anointed one. 
Now, verse 6 of Psalm 2 says, As for me, I've set, now this is God speaking, I've set, this is the Lord, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. Now, it sounds like he may be introducing another person, but when you understand that anointed one means Messiah, means Christ, and it's also reference to the individual who becomes the ruler of Israel. Because remember what they've done with the ruler of Israel? They'll take oil. Here comes Jesse. He goes down to David's, David's house and he's looking. He says, he says, Samuel goes down to Jesse's house and says, Samuel, where's... Samuel says to Jesse, Jesse, where's your son? I've got to anoint him. He brings out all of these. He's like, oh, which one is it? And he, and he goes through them and he finds that, cut the long story short, it's David. And what does he do with him? He anoints him with oil because that's what they traditionally did with the king. So you've got four words that pretty much are kind of describing the same person. Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, or king. So verse 6 says, as for me, I've set my king or my anointed one on Zion, my holy hill. Now who is this mystery person? Verse 7, I will tell of the decree... The Lord said to me, now this is David writing, right? It's a bit tricky. He says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, says David, you are my son. Today have I begotten you. Now, is that true of David or is that more true? Not of David, but David's son or David's great, 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 great grandson, the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees one day and he doubles them up, like twists them up. And he says to them, look, David makes reference to um, to his Lord, who is the anointed one, and Jesus says, how can David be his son? And they're like, hmm? Because they got what maybe we don't get right now, you know what I'm saying, which is a bit tricky to get, is the fact that that son is actually a reference to Jesus. And he is the Messiah. He is the the Christ. He is the anointed one. Jesus is actually the king. And he's not just the king, is he? He's the king of all kings. So that is a reference. That Psalm 2 is a reference to Jesus. It's a, it's a messianic prophet, prophecy about the Lord Jesus. And they understood this. This is why, I mean, in a couple of chapters, they're going to pick up stones to stone him. Because who does he think he is? This person is very highly exalted. Verse 12 goes on to say, kiss the son, in it, <laughs> Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Notice, blessed are all who take refuge in him. What a statement. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are encouraged to put their trust in him. But it's alright. Because the son is just as much God as the father. We've been learning. Now, I don't know if that helped you or didn't. But it should at least give you an appreciation of how the listeners are hearing what Jesus is saying, especially as he continues to make these amazing grand claims with regards to his identity. So we're going to see more evidence in our text that points like a sign, you know what I'm saying, Uh, that, that point that testifies or bears witness to Jesus being the Son of God. Notice Psalm 2, God's the Lord, the Lord's Son, Jesus, the Son of God. All these references tie back to the Old Testament in order to give us a clear picture. 
<clears throat> he's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. And, and we're going to reflect on this a little bit more in a minute. Continuing in verse 1. It would be good if we can get past the, two, the first two words, right? After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. I haven't been able to get that hiss down. Brothers, I'm not sure if you know it. I, I, I thought it was maybe the other channels are all open. <laughs> Sorry, this kind of technical conversation in the midst of... Verse 1. <clears throat> so Jesus went away. Now, considerable time, as we said, after, uh, as elapsed after chapter 5, Jesus and his disciples had probably preached and progressively traveled throughout most of Galilee now between chapter 5 and chapter 6. You know what I'm saying? And now find themselves on the east coast of this massive, what is actually a lake, which is called the Sea of Galilee, aka also known as Kinnereth. That's what this this piece of this 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 lake this this sea was referred to in the Old Testament. Kinnereth and Kinnereth means harp or lyre because it's in the shape of a harp. That's why they called it Kinnereth. But it was also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Sometimes the Bible's tricky, isn't it? I mean, this big. And then not only is it big and got like lots of content, the content is complicated sometimes. But like a jigsaw puzzle, by God's grace, we can put it together. So the Sea of Galilee, which is um, Kinnereth, or the, or the Sea of Tiberias. I've got a picture of it here for you. Because just so that you can see that it's not just a little lake. How many of you have been to Austria with us? A few. How many of you are coming to Austria this year? How many of you are coming but you've not booked yet? but you're coming right some last minute.com lord help us there's a lake in austria and it's about a mile across and maybe a mile or two mile across and mile or two what do you reckon more than two miles across so long true it's really long but it's not that wide because guys have swam across it i remember duncan swam across it i wouldn't swim across it you know what I mean? Me and, me and Pastor P would have swim across it, if you know the story. Which <laughs> is about getting the paddling pool. But I'm um, not. I can swim. On a, on, a, on a level, I can swim. But the lake here is, in certain parts, the lake is as deep as the mountains. What I'm trying to say is it's deep, isn't it? And you get some serious current on that. You wouldn't think on a lake you'd get current. You'd think it'd be really still. You get some serious current on that lake. You go out there, you're not a strong swimmer. You're, you're, you're finished. And just on that little tiny... Now, the Sea of Galilee is much, much bigger than that. It's about, it's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. It's about the same size as the island of Malta, if you've ever been to Malta. New Testament calls it Miletus. Well, King James calls it Miletus, just in the Mediterranean there. <clears throat> so it's a, so a sizable lake. And I've got another picture of here. Look, who, who, who would have thought that you could get waves like this on a lake? You know what I'm saying? Now, we're going to come back to that as we, get, um, as, as, as we, as we move further in our text. So, <clears throat> there here, verse 2. And a large crowd was following him. Now, Jesus was so popular that people are willing to travel. Um, even to the most remote of places, as we've seen over the, the past few months, uh, many have begun, many have begun to follow Jesus. But, by the end of this chapter, over the next three weeks... We'll see this change dramatically where many will cease to follow him. For the moment, as long as Jesus is saying what they want to hear, and more specifically doing what they want him to do, look at the second part of verse 2. 
And a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. See, as, as long as the needs or the perceived needs or the felt needs of the people were being met, they were happy. Hello. As long as they were center of attention, Jesus had their attention. Jesus had their regard. Now, you know, many people follow Jesus just for what they can get. Now, let's not pretend that we don't want anything from Jesus as we follow him. We do follow him for what we can get, but we don't follow him just for what we can get. Another thing is, you know, Jesus provides for our needs, but he doesn't provide for our greeds, right? And there's a whole lot that we could say about that, because I think that's something that's being preached even from pulpits across the land, across the nation, across the globe. Um, and there's a distinction there. And it, and it does us well to appreciate that, so that we're not stumbled when God don't really do what we want him to do. Amen? Because he don't, isn't, it's like we're holding him to promises he never made. You know what I mean? And um, we're going to see this, that, that we're going to see that this story will be reminiscent of an earlier story, an ancient story, where some of God's people misunderstood the message, which led to unrealistic expectations on their part, which resulted in them losing everything. Any idea what the text is alluding to? Okay, listen to verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with, with his disciples. Think of someone leading, in the past, a large crowd or group of people in a semi-desolate place. The leader goes up on a mountain with those who are closest to him. Okay, well, if you ain't got it, all right. Then if you ain't, if you ain't some, I think some have, some have begun to see it. If you haven't got it yet, verse 4 will give us another clue. <laughs> now the Passover is the emphasis of the author. It's like, why are you going to bring this up now? Because he's trying to make a point. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Passover. Does Passover ring any bells? Yeah. What time period does that cause you to think of? The Exodus, maybe? I hear you thinking. <laughs> okay, let me not put words into your mouth and jump the gun at this point. The mention of this particular festival is very strategic of the author of this book. D.A. Carson says, with reference to this verse, he says, The Passover feast was to Palestinian Jews what the 4th of July is to Americans. It's, like, it's, it's massive. It's big things. Everything stops. And it's a dynamic focus on nationalism, on freedom, on revolution, on independence. Jesus would be... All of the Jews here at this point, if they're good Jews, they would be thinking about sacrificial lambs. They'd be thinking about blood. They'd be thinking about deliverance from bondage because of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Which, which allowed the angel of death to pass over. Like, phew. If you've got blood on the doorposts and you put your trust in the blood and you get in the house behind the blood. Death has no effect in your life. 
see that. They would be thinking about these things. They would be thinking about deliverance from bondage. And they'd be thinking about food. And you know what kind of food they'd be thinking about? Bread. Unleavened bread. Isn't that true? Remember that Passover celebrates deliverance from Egypt. Deliverance from Pharaoh. It's freedom. and And a promise of a new land. And who was it that led the children of Israel out of slavery... Via a wilderness into the land of promise. Amen. I've I've heard it said already. Moses. And Moses was Moses was a prophet who promised a coming prophet. That sometime in the future there would be another prophet who would be very much like Moses. Are you beginning to see the similarities? You're beginning to see why this is so important, why all of the gospel writers make reference to this. Hopefully we'll see more in a moment. Edward Blum, with reference to to this section, he says, The people in our text were longing for a new what? A new Moses who would deliver them, not from Egyptian bondage, but from Roman bondage. Can you see the parallel? Okay, so much for me putting words in your mouth, right, or thoughts in your mind. Let's go back to our story. This is the second Passover feast that's mentioned by John. Significant. Why? Because there's only going to be one more. The coming Passover is the Passover at which Jesus will be killed. Here in our text, we are one year before the crucifixion. John is so unique and unusual in comparison to the other gospel writers. You know what I'm saying? Because John is going to take half of his book just to go through one week of Jesus' life. So we're only in chapter 5. You're like, what? There's only one year of Jesus? We've already done two two, two and a half years of his life already. Yeah. And we're only in chapter 5. Begins to give you like some orientation of John's book. And this is a very important, this second Passover is a very important marker in John's gospel. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes at this point then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, wait, like wow, look at all these people, like oh my gosh. Where are we to buy bread? Notice, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? You know, it's Jesus is thinking of others rather than himself. I'd be like, oh my gosh, all these people, they're going to be draining my energy and all my little bit of strength that I got. I hardly got any sleep last night. I was up praying with the Father. Two twos, all these people coming. Oh my, look, what am I going to do? That's what I, I know you wouldn't think like that, but that's, Jesus is thinking about others. Verse six, he said this. Now he said this to test him. That is to test Philip. For he, Jesus himself, he knew what he would do. Oh, my goodness. We could actually spend like a whole hour just on verse 6. And if you know anything about me, the temptation was very strong. Jesus says in says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread? Where are we going to, where are we going to get to feed all these people? Now, verse 6 is a very, very helpful comment from the narrator, I would argue. It wouldn't be unusual to suggest that Jesus still does this. That is, test his disciples in the same way today as he did then. 
We find ourselves sometimes in very challenging circumstances, don't we? Where the Lord tests us. He knows what he's going to do. But we're not privy to that. But we are privy to the process, aren't we? And the principle as we see outlined here in the text. And that can be very helpful, isn't it? You might be going through some drama right about now in your life. And you can't figure out like what, what is up from down and what's east from west. You don't know whether you're coming or you're going. Isn't it helpful to know that even though you might be going through this, and we have to be honest, God doesn't always put us in that test. You know what I'm saying? We'll see in a minute how that happens. But God doesn't prevent us from being in that test. So we have to say that, you know, God has allowed whatever is going on in my life. Otherwise, he's not God. You know what I'm saying? And he's not really in control. We have to say God is God and he's in complete control. Oh, but I'm in drama. He must have allowed it. You know what I'm saying? And in the midst of that drama, God will test us, won't he? To see what's in our hearts. As disciples. <clears throat> we find ourselves sometimes in very challenging circumstances where the Lord tests us. Listen to Genesis 22. This ain't nothing new. Right. After these things, God did what? I'm not discouraged that you're not with me, but what can I say? After these things, thank you, Brother Bertram. You see, Bertram was preaching last week. You feel my pain in it. It's all right. Maybe we should get every single person in the church to preach one week. Oh, my goodness. Everyone will be trying to sit on the front row from that point. If only you knew. Wow. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here, here am I. He said, take your son, it's like I've got, a little, I've got a little test for you. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and um, offer, him, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. <laughs> Just a little test. Just in case you're feeling like, wow, I'm going through a madness. I'm the only one who's experiencing this. First Corinthians 10. There's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. And means everybody goes through difficult. Our ch- challenges, our temptations are going to be different. You know what I'm saying? And I will look at yours and I'll be like, Lord, man, why don't you give me that temptation, that, that test? Carl, I, I could work with that. You know what I mean? And the other person's looking at you saying the same, <laughs> saying the same thing. But yeah, there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. And will with the temptation make a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, I think. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 is one of them verses that we don't like. And we don't, we don't put up on the fridge, like a fridge magnet on the... No. 1 Peter 4 to Beloved. And notice how it starts it. <laughs> it's warming you up. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Why do you have to use that adjective? Why don't you say trial? <laughs> fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Like James says rejoice. <laughs> wow. This is, this is much more difficult than name it and claim it. Just blab it and grab it. This is much more challenging, isn't it? A lie? This is, but this is Bible, right? 
And I don't think I've ever seen a verse in the Bible that says blab it and glab it, grab it, name it and claim it. <clears throat> as God's people, as disciples, we also, in like fashion, will be tested. May God help us in our responses. Amen. And I pray for you as you pray for me. You know, we pray on a Thursday night before community group. And um, very often there's not many people there. And it can be very discouraging, especially, I think as Pastor E mentioned in the announcements, we're quite a, we're quite a good-sized church. You know what I mean? Now, we don't want to take it for granted that because no one turns up to, to prayer meeting, that you're not praying. And I mean, um, but, yeah, maybe we'll talk about prayer in a little bit, a, a little bit more, in a little bit more. Now, getting back to the importance, <clears throat> the significance of this miracle, this sign. Could this test in verse 6 be an indirect reference to the testing in the wilderness? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14, starting at the kind of middle of verse 14, says, The Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, Moses speaking, out of the house of slavery, gave you independence, like 4th of July, Verse 15, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Wow, isn't that beautiful? The wilderness is terrifying, but he led them through with its fiery serpents. So maybe that's where, you know, um, Peter gets that, that, that adjective from. Fiery serpents, d- d- difficult, you know what I'm saying, challenging circumstances, and scorpions, you know. And thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock. You ever been in a place where it looks like there's no way out and God provides a way out? You ever been in a place where you, you feel like I'm not going to make it. I don't have what I need and God provides you with what you need. Amen. Well maybe you can encourage someone that's going through a time where they don't see, you know what I'm saying, any light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean as believers we've got to encourage one another. We can't be selfish. We're trees, right? According to Psalm 1, how many of you have ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? And I'm saying, like, we're supposed to be doing stuff to help and benefit others, you know what I mean? May, may God help us to cultivate that kind of attitude and not be selfish. You know, sometimes Christians are the most selfish people on the earth. We ain't got time. Where am I? Deuteronomy 8. The Lord your God brought you... Flinty rock. Verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with what? With manna. You know what the word manna means? These people. Manna means, what is that? That's what it means. Like, what is this? That's what the people, when they saw it, instead of saying, wow, thank you, Lord. Imagine, you're in the wilderness, you know. Hey. You know what I mean? There ain't no mallies around the corner. You know what I mean? It's like, you're in the wilderness. You should be grateful. But, you know, we can laugh at them, but we're just as bad. Oh Lord, I have got a gun to my head. I'm look. I got look. If you ever see, I got this big. Can you see this big old clock I got on my laptop? Trying to tell me the time. Someone just said to me, Pastor Rob, forty-five minutes. I got I got eleven minutes to go, (laughs) and I'm halfway through my notes. Lord, help me. What is this? And we're like that, aren't we? Not mean, but yet again, we're going to come to this. God, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. See, they never really understood what was going on. That he might humble you and what? Test you. To do you bad in the end? No. No, the end of verse 16 says to do you good in the end. Beware, he says, that you don't understand this. and You don't appreciate really what's going on. You don't understand the process. 
Wives, frustrated with your husbands and your circumstances. Husbands, frustrated with what your wife is or isn't doing. Single people with your single life. Beware lest you say in your heart, you know what, whatever I have, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. It's like, you know what, imagine God's being so good, he's overwhelming you with stuff. Look, verse 16, here's the manner, but you don't even recognize that. Not even, you know what I'm saying? Whatever I have, I had to grind, I had to like, I had to do me out here. That's how I got what I got. See, and be careful. That you don't, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you, says the Lord, I warn you today that you will surely perish. That's when we get in that place where, you know what I'm saying, not only do we, and not only are we not thankful for what we have, we don't recognize what God has done, we feel like what we got is because of us. It's very dangerous. I think I heard my sister in community group the other night, Thursday night, talking about the fact that, you know what? She works in a very challenging environment where everything is about money. And that's, that's all that people are, it's like everyone is driven by and motivated by it. You know what I mean? And it's, and, it's, and it's not hard for that to begin to creep into our hearts and begin to be a motivating factor for us. You know what I mean? I know that's true in my life. You know what I mean? And... Um, what we actually eventually begin to do is worship other gods. Or worshiping something other than God. Remember Jesus says you can only serve God or mammon or money. You know what I mean? And you can't, you can't worship both. God help us because we're, we're, we're being, in, in, in our environment, in our society, if, you, if, you, if that is not your motive, something's wrong with you. But thank God that we're looking beyond this life, aren't we? By God's grace, and so, this is a this is one of those reminders for us as we kind of reboot our thinking. You know what I mean? Like a computer that's that's that's, that's crashed, stalled, not functioning properly. Could it be that, <clears throat> in a sense, just like in this story, God was now doing the testing? And I'm saying. You get the impression that they were testing God in the wilderness. First Corinthians 10, the chapter that I quoted a minute ago about temptation, says that the children of Israel, they tempted God in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? So not only does God test us, but we sometimes want to try and put God to the test. But here, is it, is it, could it be that God is doing the testing? Now, on a practical level, <clears throat> getting back to our text, it, it makes sense that Jesus asks Philip about what we're going to do, especially with reference to food. Why? Because he was local to this area. He came from Bethsaida, which is about one mile north of the Sea of Galilee. So this is his manor, this is his area. If anyone knows about like, where we're going to get, he's the man to speak to. And Philip does what many of us would do. What does he see as the solution to the problem in verse 7? <laughs> Philip answered him, 200 denarii, look right at the gate, you know, straight into the money talk. 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. He thinks that money is the answer to the problem. Sadly, we're not any different. We're like, if I only had more money, that would fix anything. I swear there's a proverb that says money answers all things. Actually, it's Ecclesiastes 10. And I'm saying, 
but you've got to be careful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you, when, you, when you read scripture, that you interpret it correctly. You know what I'm saying? In certain circumstances, money is the answer, but it's not always the answer. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? I mean, what's money going to do, do for you then? You heard the thing about Bill Gates, right? Not Bill Gates, he's still alive. Steve Jobs. They said, you know how much, um, you know how much money, how, how did they say it? Somebody help me. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, cuz. You know how much money Steve Jobs, that, oh, the, the guy who created, well, co-created Apple, right? I mean, probably all of us in here alone, you know what I'm saying, made the man a millionaire, right? I'm like, how much money did he leave behind? Right, so, so you might be computing. Well, I've heard that Apple are the biggest company in the world. Maybe it's about, I don't know, maybe a hundred billion. No, he, did, he left all of it behind. He left it all behind. More money sometimes, actually. You know, people be like, oh, if I had money, it would fix everything. Sometimes more money puts you in a fix. Lord help us. Notice that Philip doesn't answer Jesus' question faithfully. <laughs> Jesus asked in verse 5, where are we to buy bread? But immediately what kicked in was his automatic reaction, because that's where his heart was at. See that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see that? <clears throat> now, after all that Philip had seen Jesus do, just like Israel in the wilderness, after all that God had done, the people still refused to trust in God. See, Philip's trusting in money, right? They were, they as well as him are filled, not with faith, but unbelief. Right? Like standard, I'm in a fix. First person I'm, I'm going to go to ain't God. Right? That's just how we live. You know what I'm saying? It's the doctor. Not that we shouldn't go to the doctor. It's phone up her friend or, and, and pour our heart out to, you know, out, I don't know, on Facebook. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's like God is always the last resort, it seems. I'm saying. You know what I mean? You can correct me if I'm wrong. And they still, rather than just put our trust in God, we put our trust and our faith in other things. It's really unbelief, isn't it? Psalm 95 says, um, verse Seven-ish to eleven. Scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See how we? There's, there's a possibility that we can do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, "Don't do it." Right? As at Meribah, as on the day uh, at Massa in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, when your fathers see in those difficult times, in those challenging times, right? When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work. It's like, for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray, where? In their heart, and they have not known my ways. Wow, what an indictment for God's people. You know. And again, before we're quick to point the finger, that can be true of us, can't it? That we can be God's people, yet not know his ways. I think there's a verse that makes reference to Moses and the children of Israel. It says, the children of Israel knew God's works, but Moses knew God's ways. He says, for 40 years I loved that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and not know my ways. Verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath. Wow. 
They shall not enter my rest. And put me to the proof though they had seen my work. God's like, don't take me for an idiot. Don't take me for a joke out here. You know what I mean? There comes a point as good, as good as God is, as gracious as he is, the Lord himself would draw a line. You know what I mean? And it's a fearful thing, you know what I'm saying, to fall into the hands of the living God. He's good, you know. But look, you don't want God to switch on you. I don't want the Lord to switch on me. Jesus didn't say, with what shall we buy bread, but from where shall we buy bread? <laughs> These little nuances in scripture are really important. That's why we've got to read our Bible carefully. You know, and that's why we take the, the, the time to try to teach line upon line, like verse by verse, sometimes word by word, right? Because the nuances are really important. You say you could just read over that and miss that. I'm saying from where? See, it's, it's what is our perspective. And I'm saying where, like to, to, to what do we look when we have need? And I'm saying. And you know what? Thank the Lord. God is so good. His word is so amazing. If you feel discouraged because you're like, rah, that's me, you know. I'm like, I'm standing up here and I'm, I'm telling you, knowing that it's, that's me, you know, like Robert. You know what I'm saying? What encouragement? Um, Numbers 11. Did you know Moses had the same problem? That's encouraging to me. It's not just Peter that had like foot and mouth disease, right? Like every, everyone's got it to some degree, right? Numbers 11. When the people asked for food and God said that he would provide, it says in verse 21 of Numbers 11, but Moses said, the people among whom I am, Number 600,000 on foot. It's a few more people, right? That Moses got a deal. So maybe Moses got more reason. I don't know. More of an excuse. He said, he said, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Not just even one meal, you know. Not one day. A whole month. Verse 22. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for this whole multitude of people? And the Lord said to Moses, wait a minute. What, Moses, what are you actually trying to say, Moses? What, like, wait a minute. Like, forget about the people. Forget about, like, this is, about, this is between me and you. And, Moses, what are you actually trying to say? You can see Moses is backing up now. You know, just like this. You know the times when you open your mouth, you don't think. You don't engage your brain like the gears, right? It's just, you don't sink the clutch properly. You're just revving, you know. You ain't getting nowhere. You know what I mean? Sometimes we do that. With our thinking and, and, our, and our tongue is not engaged with our brain. And we end up saying, but it's actually coming from the heart. Wow, that's deep, isn't it? And Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, reminds me of, um, what was it? Was it Jonah? No, it wasn't Jonah. Yeah, the Lord braced up Jonah. Uh, Job. When the Lord braced up Job. Pastor, he's got a tune about it. Ask him. Someone said to me the other day, boy, you know, you look like, when are you going to bring out an album? You know, I can't, even, I can't even say, you know, it was, it was actually my son. He said, Dad, he said, it must be bad. If I'm saying, Dad, when are you going to bring out an album? I said, son, man, don't worry, man. We're, we're, we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. <laughs> and I mean, we're thinking about it. And um, how did I get onto that story? God raising up Moses. 
Yeah, no, I can't see the connection. I'll listen, I'll listen back to it next week and feel like that was what it was. That's where I was going to go with that. Ephraim's got a Ephraim's got Frederick. Thank you, for, bro. Thank you for paying attention, man. Because obviously I'm not right. Like, Pastor E's got this tune, man. Is it, is it called Lord? Um, Lord, what's it called? What's it called? Is it Lord? Like the wind and the waves, and where was you when? You know what I'm saying? When I created the planets and the stars and. See, look, I'm saying, yes, son, we're, we're going to bring out an album we're thinking about. We can't even remember what, <laughs> what tunes we wrote. But he's got this song anyway. Lord, it's called. I think, no, it's not called Lord. Who, 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 who. And the Lord braces up Joel, like, I don't know, three or four chapters, like, wait a minute. Are you actually, wait a minute. And it's a, it's a similar thing here. And the Lord says to Moses, wait, is the, is, is that, is the Lord's hand shortened? Is, is my hand shortened? What, that I can't, it's what stuff's out of my reach. Are you trying to say this is too big for me? And I'm saying, now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And I'm saying, it's like, you know what? What does it say? The scripture says that even when we're unfaithful, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I'm going to try to keep it moving past the E. Um, so we see Moses has the same problem. Here we see God rebuke Moses for his unbelief. And in our text, Philip, a few thousand later, a few thousand years removed, right, responds like Moses. But notice, Jesus responds like God. Jesus don't respond like everybody else because he, he's the superman. You know what I mean? He knows, Jesus knows what to do and where to get the help to provide out here in this solitary, in this remote wilderness type environment, right? This scenario is clearly descriptive of an incident in the past that identifies Jesus as someone very significant. Can you see that? Okay, that's how Philip responds to the challenge. Wow. How about the other disciples? Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here. Who has five barley loaves and two fish. But um, I believe, you know, Lord. But help my unbelief. Like, I'm bringing him here. I don't even know why. What's, he, what's this going to do? You know what I mean? Like, what are they for so many? It's like, it's like Andrew, you're saying two different things at the same time. But aren't we just like that as well? Like, Lord, I'm trusting you out here, you know, Lord. But boy, let me just go and do, make two couple moves. Because you might not come through for me. Ain't we, aren't we just like that? In the past, we've talked about the strengths and the weaknesses of the disciples. In contrast to his brother Peter, who's very vocal, we know, right? <clears throat> and we'll see later, especially in Acts, how vocal he is. As someone who is inclined to speak to crowds, Peter, right? Andrew, he's a different disciple, got different inclination, different personality. You know what I'm saying? Andrew's more of a personal worker. He's a one-to-one type guy. He's a people person. He's not the guy to stand up, you know, we need to make an announcement. Some, you know, some of us got loud mouth. All right, everybody, listen, this is what we're going to do. Right? But some people are not like that. They're not that way inclined. And, 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 and one person shouldn't try to be the person that they're not. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa. And Andrew's quite happy with who he is. He don't see Peter up there and feel like, oh, man, Peter's getting all the attention. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, maybe I need to be a bit more like Peter. No, he's quite happy being who he is. So may God help us 
You know what I'm saying? Just to, to seek him, find out who he's made us, what we are, understand your inclination and just be you in it. Just do you. I remember when I went to school, when I went to Cornhill for about a year, I was trying to be like everybody else, trying to preach um, in such a way that would communicate to um, the individuals who are in my class and you know what I'm saying? Obviously in a different category than I am and um, trying my best to try and sound like them. You know what I mean? And it just never worked. You know what I mean? But the, such was the pressure. Because look, I never went to... You know what? I was thinking about this this morning. Not only did I not go to uni, although oh, I suppose I did later on in life. You know, when I was young, I never went to uni. I never went to... I went to college at night till for six months and then my mum and dad packed me off and we went to Jamaica. I never even finished college. I got one... Back in the day, they were called G, they were called CSEs and O-levels. Those were the two categories, right? There was no GCSE. Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, got, I got, thank you, thank you, my sister. I got one CSE, grade one, in English. By the great, it's like the Lord, I just love words. I love reading. It's the only thing I was any kind of, had any inclination, any kind of, ability to do when I was in school. I thank the Lord he used that writing lyrics and love words. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm up here like 52 minutes in. You know what I mean? And can't finish. It's like... You not talk to Camille for me when, when, when I'm finished, because she's in children's ministry and she told me 45 minutes. So, one of you please help me. Uh, I mean, uh, this her, her husband is... I'm talking to her. Oh, I am talking. Oh, amen. She's going to listen to the message. Sis, forgive me. Oh, have, have mercy. Be like Jesus. Um, oh, where am I? Where was I? English. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I thought, wow, Lord, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy with like really no substantial education. And, um, and I thought, thank you. Lord, for taking like my life and, and making it much more than I could have, yes. you know what I'm saying, if it was left to myself, yes. you know what I mean? And, and I'd just like to encourage you, because I think, again, today there's a big push and a lot of drive in terms of education, and you know what I mean? It's like, I, I believe like the same is for Pastor E. He went to a better secondary school than me. He went to London Nautical, you know what I'm saying, which was kind of like posh and stuff, and but, you know, like we're simple brothers here and um, I think I say that to say we need to be comfortable with who God has made us. You know what I mean? And, and be encouraged that even though we may be the pastors here and some of you got like double majors and X amount of like degree, like, you know what I'm saying? Like masters and some of you even PhDs, you know what I'm saying? It's like we don't need to feel intimidated, you know what I'm saying, by that. And if anything, we can encourage it. You are, you are who you are. Amen. And I'm saying, I am who I am. And we can be comfortable with that. Because yeah. as disciples, we're different. Yes. You know what I mean? And God can use us all. Look at Peter and look at Paul. They're like, they're like chalk and cheese. But God used them differently and he used them equally. When we get home, it's well done. Not you good and successful servant. Look at what you did versus what they did. What? Come here, let me put my arm around you. No, sit down here. That's not what's going to happen. The Lord says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that means you could have done this much versus the other person doing that much. The question is, were you faithful? You know what I mean? So as disciples, 
Just be who you are in it. Just be you in it, in Christ. Because when I started, when I started, when I went up, when I went up and had to do my presentations after, I was like, let me just chuck. Let me just allow that and try to be who. When I got up and I was who I was, oh my gosh, the place lit up. And people were like, whoa. They were like, wow, that was amazing. You know what I'm saying? And it's not that I'm amazing. Like, we know that. We told a story in community group on Thursday night. Do you remember the donkey? That, that, remember Jesus came into, 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 into Jerusalem uh, and they were waving palm branches. Remember? And Jesus was sitting on a donkey. Imagine if the donkeys thought, look at all these people praising me. Look at all these people waving for me. Like, what? You'd say that's a stupid donkey. I mean, donkey, right? So, anytime we make out like we're great, really, I mean, hopefully, what we're saying is God is great. And I mean, God, and hopefully, God is going to greatly use us. And it's not that we're great, it's, it's that He's great. Amen. You know what I mean? And um, know that you're a donkey, innit? <laughs> innit? I mean, God help me to know that as well. And, uh, and then, and we can just, hear, you know what I'm saying, to the glory of God. Amen. Uh, I, I don't know if any of that made sense, right? <coughs> Notice, Andrew, because of his proclivity, again, we see him here doing what he did earlier with his brother Peter, bringing, do you remember, look, there would be no Peter if there was no Andrew, because Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. He's just a, he's just a people person. Really obscure, you wouldn't notice him. You know what I mean? And, and again, we see him doing the same thing here. That was in John chapter 1, verse 42. He doesn't, he doesn't bring Jesus to the masses as much as he brings the individual to Jesus. Andrew is again busy bringing someone to Jesus. And it's this boy with a lunchbox. He's got barley loaves or barley rolls. Did you know they're a cheap, they're a cheaper bread for the poorer classes? Along with some, what's he got with him, as well as the bread? He's got pickled fish or dry fish. Remember the climate? It's like salt fish. You know what I mean? It's dry and that's what it is. It's, and it's hard not to see the historical parallel. Wow, in 2 Kings 4. Man, I saw this, I was like, what? I'm like... The more I get to know the Bible, the more I realize I don't know the Bible. Second Kings 4. Where's my remote? Second Kings 4. Just, just a few verses. Listen to this. Wow. A man came from um, Baal Shalishar, bringing the man of God, what? Bread of the first fruits. 20 loaves of what type of bread? Barley. And fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? Man's like, come on, if, if I do that, ain't going to be none left for me. Like, a hundred men. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so he repeated. It's like you never heard him, right? Give them to the... What did I tell you? Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate. All one hundred of them and had some left. According to the word of the Lord. How many of you ever skipped over that story as you've been reading through your Bible? Yes. I did. 25 years I've been a Christian. I was like, what? Huh? Wow. 
Is there a similar maybe parallel? And notice, who's the, who's the, who's the, who's the guy here? Elisha. God miraculously multiplied this relatively tiny meal and provides for a hundred men. Could we be seeing something similar yet greater? A greater miracle done by Jesus. Someone greater than Elisha, greater even than Elijah. Oh, thank God. Do you remember that the people were anticipating the coming of someone like Elijah back in chapter 1? Because they asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah, the one who is to come? Jesus, listen. I mean, Jesus said it was John. Right, but we ain't got time to go into that. Could this be another sign pointing to Jesus as someone significant? So, we have a problem. Hmm. I'm going to have to try. Can you give me 10 minutes? So, we have a problem. How to meet the needs of such a vast crowd of people? In Mark's account, he says that some of the disciples at this account suggested just, you know, Jesus, just send the people them away. That's the solution. A second suggestion, as we heard, was money, right? Apparently, eight months' wages is what Philip was suggesting. 200 days' wages wasn't enough, you know what I'm saying, with regards to, you know, I don't know what the economic climate was and how much, you know, a loaf of bread cost, but... Eight months' wages weren't enough. That was the second. The third suggestion was that this boy's happy meal, right? It's like when he broke his meal out, then everyone said, oh, it's lunchtime. And everybody broke out their meals and they began to eat their lunch. That is the view of liberal scholars. You know, liberal scholars are basically Christians, quote unquote, who don't believe in miracles. It's like all the miracles in the Bible, they might as well just tear them out because they don't believe in the supernatural. So that's how they interpret this. Everybody got out their lunch when the boy got his happy meal out. Obviously, that is definitely not the case. A fourth solution is the evidence of power. Getting straight to the point. Another witness pointing to Jesus as the new Moses. Verse 10. Jesus said, you know what? This is the solution. Have the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Some say, some like just, by, just by the way, some commentators say at this point, there was a lot of grass and people sat down. Jesus is the good shepherd who makes us to sit down or lay down in green pastures and by the still waters of Galilee. Some make that reference. And it's all right, it's all good. 5,000 of them in number. Now this is a number, this is referencing the men, this is not including women and children. So how many of you know there's a whole lot more people than 5,000? Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had what? Given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Does that sound a little bit like Numbers 11? In verse 11 it says that Jesus gave thanks. This will be repeated again for emphasis in verse 23. Jesus is reminding the people and reminding us that we must look to God for our essential needs. Notice, here in this desolate place, Jesus tests the people and he is thankful to God. During the time in the wilderness, the people test God and are what? They're unthankful. They're unthankful. When you notice that you are not being grateful, 
Know that you're on a slippery slope. Let us remember. <clears throat> see, we only do that ungrateful when, we, when we're not grateful for what we have. You know what I mean? And this is a beautiful... You see... See, our desire for stuff and things and is insatiable. That means, you know what I'm saying, we've got a black hole of an appetite for stuff. Because the more stuff you get, guess what? The more stuff you want. You know what I mean? The nice car, nicer car you get, the nicer car. You know, I've been on a journey in 20 years, 25 years of buying cars. Oh my gosh. If I could go back, I remember one of my old cars that I had, and I felt like I needed to sell that car because I needed another car. I needed one that was newer, one that was faster, one that was prettier. My gosh, if only you knew how many times, you know what I'm saying, in the past five years, I've said, Lord, if only I could just go back to my old car. Get this new car, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't even new. It's like, it's 12 years old, my new car, right? It's like... I remember when I first got it, it wasn't brand new, it was used, it was 80 miles on the clock or whatever, but the car never had no scratches on it. It must have been kept in a garage, in it? So, me get this car, as soon as I park it in Sainsbury's, and I'm saying, come out, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. When I bought my car, the car was, where did that scratch come from on the car? You know what I mean? And you're like, like all day, this scratch is bothering me. How many of you been there? You know, I'm like, and, and, then, and then a couple more scratches and a couple more dents. I remember, like, Helen, where's my wife? <laughs> wife took the car and, I don't know, something happened, come back, one big old scratch on the side of the car. <laughs> but that's not even the drama, because i done worse. You know what i done? One day in church, when we was at Broccoli, Lord Jesus, <laughs> rushing to try and get into church. You know, Sunday mornings, Christians are the worst drivers on the road. Can I get a witness? I don't want to put up your hand, right? <laughs> Listen, when I tell you, say, you know, the, the parking was restricted, parking restricted all over London, right? So I can't find a parking spot and I'm rushing in it to get it. I don't know, maybe I was pre, I don't know what was happening that day. So I see one little tight spot, tight spot in it. And I thought, yeah, trying me to squeeze it in this spot and I come out and I look good, you know. Why? Because in front of me, I'm like, I'm like half a millimeter, half a nanometer from the car in front of me, right? And behind me, is a space, why? Because there's a driveway, and whoever lives there needs to get in and out their driveway, innit? So I look, and I trust me, I look good, you know. And I thought, hmm, he can make it. Like, there's space for him to get out if I, if I park here. And true, I'm in a rush, innit? So you're not even thinking too clearly. Anyway, jump out of the car, blah, 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 go church. When I come out to get in my car, <laughs> The guy wanted to get out, innit? And he can't get out. And the thing is, it ain't even my fault. Somebody else must have had the same idea, innit? But they never left the man enough space to come out. So they moved up so close, they're preventing him from getting out. Because I've, I've, I've parked so tight, now the guy can't get out of his car. You know what the guy done to my car? <laughs> You know, you're not, I can't even laugh. The, the guy, the guy keyed my whole car. Every, listen, every striking panel. 
He keyed. There's not look. Every pat. Listen, like even as I'm talking to you, I can't. I can't even talk. When I tell it, it when I tell it, it, it did burn me. Listen, I looked and I thought. If you, you're, on, you're listening on, there's no video. You're listening on the tape. I said, I said, you know what, I'm going to mash up this man's car, you know. It was a BMW 3 Series. In my mind, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set fire to this car. <laughs> and, I, and trust me, in my mind, I started planning and thinking, right. Obviously, I'm not going to do it night in broad daylight. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to put a pe- I'm going to get a bottle of vodka. I'm gonna, you know, it's like one of them YouTube clips of me telling you like bad things to do. I'm gonna get a vodka bottle, I'm gonna put a rag in there, I'm gonna set light to that, I'm gonna drop it underneath the car, and I'm gonna go about my business. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set that brother's car, that's, that's how, I, and even as I'm telling you now, I'm thinking, why didn't I do that? <laughs> oh my gosh, when I tell you it, now, the brother keyed every panel on my, and what? It's a, that's a thousand pound work. Go and look at my car. It was, this is like two years ago. Go and look at my car. Every single, every single scratch still the panic Because <laughs> what am I going to get a thousand pound? And what I'm saying is, what I think I'm saying is, is um, no matter what you get, because the, the car was like, wow, at one point. Like, woo, at one point. You know what I mean? But now, <laughs> okay, I, the other day, I don't know where my wife was and parked the car. Some big old, like, Dirty, like white, definitely a white van man, because it's a big old white thing, just just the whole of the mouth. I don't care. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, whatever. Now, you know what I mean? And I think, I think the big point of that long old story is, no matter what we get and think, wow, this is gonna satisfy me. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna make me look good. It might be clothes or jewelry or house or, you know, what I'm saying, name it. You know, what I'm saying. Idols, they tell lies. They lie to you and tell you I'm gonna satisfy you. And we and we believe the lies and we worship those things in the sense that we give ourselves to it. You know what I mean? And it's idolatry. And I'm confessing my idolatry. You know what I mean? And you know, seriously. And, and you see, and this doesn't mean that we can't, and this, this needs to be said, this doesn't mean, you know what I'm saying, that we can't enjoy things in life. Don't hear me say, mm-hmm, right, I don't want to see none of you buying no brand new cars, or, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to hear no one talking about that, getting a mortgage, or, no man, we can have these things and enjoy these things. I can't remember who, was, who it was that said it, but we can have these things, but these things mustn't have us. We have to hold them loosely, you know what I mean? And um, <clears throat> listen to this beautiful quote. By C.S. Lewis, and then we're nearly. I say we're done. Then we're nearly done. He says, "A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends, a bath, or a football match." I'm going to watch Arsenal in the FA Cup final on Saturday, so I thought this was very poignant. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to make mistake. Will not encourage us to mistake them. For home, you know, an inn is somewhere where you stop on the journey. We can stop on the journey. We can enjoy these things. You know what I mean? 
but let, let's don't ever get it twisted. This stuff, we're passing through, we're pilgrims, you know what I mean? And, um, <clears throat> see, and God is good, you know, because what he does is, when we get to a point where we feel like, yes, I got that thing. I got that girl, I got that guy, I got that child, I got that whatever it is that I thought was going to fulfill me. As soon as I get it, either the, either the, the thing itself starts giving me drama, like the car, you know what I mean? <clears throat> or God frustrates it. God frustrates it. See? And he does that by sending us storms. And we're going to see in about a minute like what that's all about, because I can only bullet point it. Um, see, and, and God gives us constant reminders of the fact that we're not yet home, just in case we think that we're home. <laughs> if we're believers, God is gracious, and he will bring storms, you know what I mean? And when you get your perspective right, you're like, oh yeah, Lord, forgive me, I had my heart set on that thing, like, I don't need to go to heaven. Lord, Terry, don't come back just yet, just got married. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? My brother got married on Friday. Can't even talk out too much things, but you know what I mean? He could be in a place where now, love. You know what I mean? The thing that he's been waiting for, he now has, but be careful. And I'm saying, and I'm saying that to us, not to him. He knows that. <laughs> and if he don't, the Lord's gonna remind. The Lord's gonna be like, all right then, this thing that you've been waiting for, and da 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 da, two two is the very thing you like. Lord Jesus. I thought that this was going to bring me, you know, how many husbands and wives, you know what I'm saying, can say what I expected, anticipated in marriage wasn't what it was. And the Lord brings a storm. And this speaks powerfully to us, you know, regardless of whether in good times or bad times, especially when you're in good times, because God warned the children of Israel. It's not when things are going bad you need to worry. It's when things are going really, really well. That's when your heart departs. And I'm saying, but this is what we've got to remember at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we should give thanks when? And also when things are good and when things are bad. You know what I'm saying? We give thanks. You know what I'm saying? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And that's a very convicting verse. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, we should give thanks for what we do have. And God will make the little that we have go further. Verse 12. Right, let's run right to the end. Right, let's sprint. <clears throat> Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves. That don't make sense. 12 from five. 12 baskets from five loaves. Miracle. That were left by those who had eaten. One basket for every unbelieving disciple, right? I wonder what went through their minds as they carried these big old baskets. Silently. <laughs> Philip and Andrew. Maybe the same thing that will be articulated by the crowd in the next verse, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, wow, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Can you see that the evidence is stacked? Here is one of the most important signs to these people and to us regarding Jesus' significance. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18. 
Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you, what? A prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And God the Father says about the Lord Jesus at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God quotes the same thing that Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 18. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. He said the Old Testament prophecy about you. Why did they say, wrong? He must be the prophet. It's a reference back to Genesis 18. These people recognize who Jesus is. The question is, do we? These people recognize that Jesus is not only greater than Elijah, he's the promised prophet. As our title suggests, Jesus is actually a priest. You know what I'm saying? And I mean... Psalm 110, Hebrews 5 through 7 shows you that. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Wow. How many of you know this is a guerrilla force potentially? They could go march on 5,000 men. They could go march in and go take over Jerusalem. How many of you know this? How many of you know that this is a potential temptation for Jesus? See, they recognize who Jesus is, but they don't understand his mission. Remember, they thought Messiah, son of David, Messiah, son of Joseph. Messiah, son of David, the king. Messiah, son of, De- son of Joseph, the suffering servant. But they never saw that, it was the, that the two were one person. And who wants a suffering servant? We're looking for a king out here. You know what I mean? Someone that can crush the Romans. And so you see... To some degree, possibly, this is a temptation for Jesus, because Jesus was tempted. Now, it's not a temptation if you're not tempted to, to, to yield to the temptation. Jesus is tempted to be made king instead of going to the cross. Remember, this is one of the major temptations that the devil brought to Jesus in Matthew 4. You know what I mean? So, it's like the devil's not going to bring something to Jesus. I mean, it would go through Jesus' mind, man. Maybe just becoming king would be an easier step than going to the cross. I'm arguing. But you see, Jesus accepts that before he can become king of the kingdom, he had to take our place like a criminal on the cross. Before he can be the reigning lion of Judah, he had to become the lamb who bears the sins of the world. Right there we see the gospel. Jesus taking our place as sinners in order that we might receive his riches in place of our poverty when we repent and put our trust in him now wow I said 10 minutes I've got, I've got 2 minutes left this sec- next section is a new section um, it may seem very disjointed from the previous section but it's radically connected we'll see in this the motif of the prophet in the wilderness business continue See, apart from the miraculous provision of food after the exodus, what other amazing miracle do you see take place, especially related to water in exodus? Remember the Red Sea crossing? Right, people walked, if you like, not on, but through the water. Although not exactly the same, we hear an echo back to that event in verse 16 to 21. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, 
got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Remember the picture I showed you? We see an incredible miracle and joy. Jesus was with them a little while ago and wow, basketfuls of food and a miracle. They enjoyed an abundance of blessing. Here comes now on the back of that a storm of testing. Another test if you like. And this time Jesus isn't with them for the test. Verse 19, when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus, oh here he comes, always comes in the nick of time, walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, actually ego ami, like I am. He says, he says, do not be afraid. Then they were, and, and remember, this, this, these guys are fishermen. They know the sea. They know the Sea of Galilee, but they were afraid. This must have been some demonic storm. You get me? When they were, verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, notice the boat was at the land to which they were going. Remember I said two, possibly three miracles. Maybe this was the third miracle. Let's end by me saying, Sometimes storms come because of our own sin. Um, sometimes storms come when we don't sin. Because we live in a fallen world, right? Um, there's no way out of the storm. But what is important is that Jesus is in the boat. Amen? Are you convinced by the evidence enough to believe that Jesus is, is significant even to the point of, him, of inviting him into your boat? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word helps us to see that people are people no matter where you go. Whether it's in the Near East, or it's in the United States, or it's in Australia. Lord, no matter where people are, people are people. And Father, no matter the time frame, not just 2015, but... 1066, go back to the, the, the first century, go back to the time of Moses and Pharaoh and Egypt, go back to the time in the garden. Lord, people are people no matter where you go, no matter what time frame. And my Father, it just seems quite evident that we desperately need a saviour. We cannot save ourselves. History has proved that. We just make more of a mess. Father, would you help us to see Jesus for who he is? Not just a prophet who has come to speak to us the very words of God faithfully and completely and totally. He's also the express image of God. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. Jesus is the king. He's, every, he's everything. Jesus is our high priest. He's not just our high priest, he's our great high priest. Father, Jesus is everything. And we thank you that story today is significant because it helps us just to see another angle of the beauty of Jesus and how we need to respond. Father, not arrogantly, not boastfully, not pr and with pride and arrogance, but we need to respond humbly. And would you help us to do that? And it's only when we see Jesus for who he is, in the light of who you are, That we get wisdom that causes us to bow the knee willingly, Lord. Help us to see that when we go through difficult circumstances that you're there. And even when it seems like you're not there, like Jesus wasn't there in the boat, 
but you do aid us. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. Father, would you help us with all of these complicated elements that we've looked at in our story today and the rest of scripture in our journey. Help us to never camp in a particular place or with a particular person to the point where we neglect you. Help us to enjoy the things that you provide. But Lord, help us to know that we're coming home and that we mustn't set our heart on the things of this world. Lord, would you help us by your spirit? In the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's for his sake and in his name and for his fame we pray. Amen. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.